0: Hi folks. Welcome to another episode of ESEC Lending Insights. This is the podcast coming from ESEC Lending and I am your host today, Brooke Gilman, with my fellow co-host who normally takes the lead, although I sort of kicked him out of the way today, Peter Basler. So hey, Peter, how's it going?
1: It's going great here, Brooke. Thanks. I'm happy to play second fiddle to you.
0: Well, you know, it's your role in life, right?
1: (laughs) That's right. Now I'm getting vaccinated tomorrow. First time, first shot.
0: Oh, good. So I'm I got very- my first shot on Friday. So I'm on my way. That's great. I'm glad. Because you had been signed up for J and J, you said. And then I know with those clotting issues and then the pause on distribution, you obviously managed to get another appointment, which is great.
1: I had to think fast, move on my feet and get something else done. So hopefully I don't have any side effects. And you know why it matters? So side effects, because snow is coming. Yes, it's April and there's a snowstorm for Killington on Friday.
0: Really? How do I not know about this? It yeah. live in Vermont.
1: <laughs> I know. You might it's watch literally it.
0: beautiful today. We had the best. It's been glorious spring weather, which is super unusual for April in Vermont. Normally it's still miserable winter and cold and snowy. So I guess that is still coming my way. Yeah.
1: I'm going to chase that down tomorrow night after my shot.
0: Okay. Well, there's limited weekends left, I would think of through skiing. So, yeah, if there's snow on Friday, you should get out there. All right. So, folks, we were planning to record a podcast today with our fellow colleague, Jim Maroney, who heads up our equity and corporate bond trading. As many of you that might be frequent listeners have heard him before. And we realized that we recorded a meeting this morning for our clients, which we do on a monthly basis, which we call the huddle, the ESEC huddle but we recorded that this morning and it was spot on with what we were planning to talk to Jim about today on the podcast. So what we've decided to do is actually just take that recording and translate it to this environment and do a podcast. But in addition to Jim, we also had Mike Brooks who heads up our fixed income trading in the U.S. on with us as well. So it's a little bit of giving them an insight into what we're seeing right now in the equity space, as well as the fixed income Peter, what were your thoughts on what Jim and Mike had to say today?
1: Yeah, well, I think, you know, fixed income, especially treasuries, is a bright spot right now when we've got muted demand in the U.S. equity space. So I think that comes across pretty clearly. Obviously, we talked about some things in Asia, which are interesting with some short sale bans coming off. But Jim, again, was optimistic, even though things are muted right now. And I think, to me, the treasury story is a big one. So I never thought we'd fill up the 30 minutes with those two guys, but we certainly did. And and hopefully it's good info for those who listen to the huddle, which is an insight into our daily calls we have at the company nowadays. And hopefully it's going to be insightful for all of you in the podcast.
0: Definitely. And the one last thing that I'll just note before we turn it over to that is one area that Jim did spend a moment on, and we'll give it some more airtime next week, is on the IPO market. So with the U.S. securities lending market being so muted, as you noted, and being very few specials and hedge funds likely wanting to avoid crowded shorts and therefore it's a lot of GC activity right now, it's a lot of large cap. Where there are bright spots are tending to be more in the deal name side of things, of course, where it's which is not a cash-only opportunity and where there's maybe also IPO activity. And so next week, Jim suggested that maybe we Pick his brain as well as Mark McNeil's brain It's on our US equity lending desk as well and ask them to give us an update on what they're seeing out there in the IPO space. So that's a preview for what's to come. But with that, we'll turn it over to our monthly update and speak with you all soon. Thanks for listening. And this was another episode of ESIC Lending Insights. Thank you.
1: Great. Thanks, Brooke. Happy to have everyone here again. And like the US equity market, we're concentrated today in our speakers. We've got a couple people in London and some risk folks who are on vacation. So we're going to be concentrated on Jim with corporate bonds and equities and Mike on treasuries. So it's good to see Mike back here because treasuries are definitely punching above their weight these days, offsetting some sluggishness in the equity space. So I'll pass to Jim. I know it's tepid today, demand-wise, at least in the U.S. Tell us what's going on.
2: Yeah, I guess the reason we're going to make it more interactive is because I said I don't have a whole lot of interesting things to cover. It's embarrassing to say, but I've been in the business for 30 years. I graduated college in 91 and 2021 is not one of my favorite years. In fact, probably not even a top 10. I think if you're an investment manager and we're hitting highs in many markets, it's a good year. Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan trading reported this morning that they had blowout numbers. So I guess the Reddit phase has created opportunity and been a good year for them. Earnings are strong. So most corporations are having a good year, but the looming threat of short squeezes has made it a lackluster year thus far for securities lending. January and February, we did okay. We had a number of shorts. Then March hit. The Reddit phase initially was good. And then it just squeezed out any risk on the short side in crowded trades, as we've probably talked about. And so for the last month, there's demand there, but nobody's willing to go out on a limb and go into something that has short interest of 15, 20%. So it's GC demand. And so we're spending our time looking at new structures, be it term or non-cash or something unique that we haven't done in the past, or maintaining GC balances across the board, lending ETFs, some of them are picking up. It seems to be a vehicle that hedge funds are more comfortable using in this environment, where at any moment you could see a complete squeeze by what appears to be retail slash retail and hedge fund backed shorts. There's been a couple of trigger events. We had that Reddit phase in March. We had Arkegos this month. So in our prep meeting, Peter was asking thoughts around Arkegos and what that means for our market. I don't know. I mean, I think it's plausible to think leverage will come down. I'm not hearing that from anybody. We've spoken to all the involved parties as well as the rest of the street. It feels like business as usual. Of course, you know, Nomura and Credit Suisse might tell us it's business as usual, but the only change in behavior we've seen is less demand to borrow from both of them. So it doesn't feel to me like a stress scenario. We've seen it a few times, but I think more reported this morning that they're going to tighten financing offered to hedge funds. That's not good for us. That's the GC trade. That's the non-cash trade where they give us their longs and borrow their shorts. So it's a combined financing transaction from a hedge fund and a PD standpoint. So that's not great. We still see IPOs, SPACs, M&A coming at a pretty brisk pace, which is good on the MA side, a whole lot of cash deals or non-elect deals where we can't really monetize for our clients on the securities lending side. SPACs still seem to be a decent short in the market in that they bang around above the way the SPACs work. You can redeem if they don't end up consummating a purchase at 10 bucks, But many times on optimism, they'll trade above that 10 bucks. So you see guys shorting it and going long. So there is activity there, but not something that our client base typically holds. So we're not very active in terms of lending the SPACs. It's more passive. Got news overnight, from our Asia traders that the region is talking about the Korean short sell ban lifting. So keep in mind, regulators in Korea in particular, change their mind and pivot quickly. But what we're hearing from the street is that the short sell ban is going to be lifted on May 3rd, but it is going to be lifted only for the KOSPI 200, which is the large cap and the KOSDAQ 150 which is kind of an all cap, but essentially the more liquid small and mid caps names that we typically make money on HLB, Hewlett Smith, KMW, Silagen, those sorts of kind of key shorts that we've generated three, four, 500 lending fee, say in in 2019 and early 2020. Those are going to be allowed to be shorted starting May 3rd. So um, we've seen locates, on it. We have not seen any new borrows, but we think the buzz is starting to happen. So that's, it's a good thing. It's great for that region. I think it's the last material short sell ban in place. Folks in the region, borrowers wow. and counter- that we're talking to are saying they expect that yeah. if this goes well, they will lift the remaining 2,000 small cap name ban. So hopeful, I guess, that that changes in the region. Japan, kind of more like the U.S., It is GC market, although it's been a good GC market for low div. We're seeing an okay year, small caps, not what we want them to be, but still at or slightly above where the U.S. is. So okay with that. European div season, probably in the seventh, eighth inning here at this point, it continues the same trend we've seen for decades, but slightly above where we thought we would be this year. We're still only talking a couple all-ins and it's only the larger shorts with the big yields where we're seeing interest. Low yields, nobody bothers to flip out of expensive stock and into low dip stock around records. But there's still some short interest, whether it's airlines or others across the region. Germany and France come to mind as markets with a few specials. It's sad that (laughs) a market with a couple of specials is noteworthy, but that's kind of where we're at. And then, uh, so that's a bundle of negativity. On the optimistic side, though, we start our spring auction season right about now. It's usually in a couple of weeks. And then we go for the next couple of months auctioning off mostly U.S. assets or non-DIV markets. And we are getting questions already on collateral and portfolios and shown interest in proactively, not on our marketing efforts for purchasing U.S. assets. So to me, that says brokers may be more optimistic about a turnaround or a deployment of risk from their hedge fund clients in the next 12 months. So more to come, I would guess, next huddle. On that, but certainly something that gives us a little bit of hope for renewed activity.
1: You mentioned SPACs, but related to collateral, I always thought borrowers obviously want to pledge what they're naturally long, right? And that's always been they want equity. So we've had clients change to accept equities, those that can, but there's also some granularity around what they want, right? They want more specific things like SPACs, like ETFs, and other things that we've been talking about a lot internally. Mm-hmm. Can you comment for the group a little bit? more on those types of things?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Broadly speaking, the market was long cash for a lot of last year. And so we saw a shift in the cash. And then as we've seen, as Archegos proved, there's leverage long in the market. And so that leverage long means they need to fund their equities or corporate bonds. And so, yep, we're seeing a a shift back to that uh, non-cash bent for the borrowers, equities, top of the list, corporate bonds. Inside of equities, they want more broad equity coverage. Their longs, SPACs, they're a good example. The hedge funds own SPACs. And so they're not part of any main indices. So typically they're not part of a triparty equity collateral set across the street. And so we, and probably others, have been looking closely at liquidity of SPACs. Liquidity of ADRs falls into the same camp and corporate bonds. And so whatever they're long in a market like this, where cash isn't as flush and as cheap, is where they look to push us to take risk. And so we're looking at it. It really comes down to in, in my opinion and if Bill were here he, he could probably expand a little bit on it. So maybe next huddle. But in my opinion the risk is liquidity there. So if you have liquid assets that you're taking in, you're probably okay if it's right way risk equities versus equities. So but yeah, not surprised that we're seeing a big push on the non-standard non-main index equities.
1: In the discussions on the spring auction season, have you gotten any leanings from borrowers on collateral preferences or does it really depend on the borrower? We often talk to clients and prospects about flexibility, right? You don't need just non-cash. You want cash, non-cash, flexibility within non-cash because different borrowers are going to have different preferences at different times. So just curious as to what you're hearing (laughs) there.
2: Yeah, I haven't bumped into a bar that prefers cash in an auction. So it's mostly non-cash and the broader, the better. And I think that manifests itself in better bids. So we see the broader the collateral set, the deeper the bids, meaning more participation and certainly the better bids. So maybe this time through, still thinking it through in terms of where we want to push on the borrowers, but maybe we look to get up bids for different collateral sets, alternative collateral sets, just to give us that market intel, which is always one of the greatest advantages for me anyway, in terms of doing auction, whether they go well or they don't, it gives them market information which nobody else has other than somebody who distributes like we do.
0: Hey, Jim, going back to your comments regarding South Korea and the short sale ban lifting soon. So even though, as you noted, that only two of the indices are expected to be allowed for short selling once they do lift the ban, and that all other securities in that market will effectively continue to be banned against short selling, It sounds like your point was that even though there will continue to be limits on what is allowed to be shorted in that market, that the two allowed indices happen to also include many of the companies and securities that have had historical securities lending demand. So given this, do you have a finger in the air guess at this point on what the percentage capture for the ability to regain revenue in that market might be for clients? And then perhaps a follow-on question to that is for those clients that do lend in that market that perhaps have held off auctioning that market due to the bans, is it too soon to start thinking about putting that market out to bid, or perhaps combining it with other Asian markets for a bid now that the majority of bans or pretty much all of the bans at this point will have been lifted?
2: True. Passion. Fourteen questions in there. At least she's consistent. Yeah. I've done an estimate on a balanced all cap Korea recently. So, my finger in the air is if the ban gets lifted as expected, so call it large cap and the the COSDAC 150, you're going to have an opportunity to make about half of what you normally make on a balanced portfolio, meaning large and mega caps represent half the value and small and the other half. Think. And now, in terms of timing, Yeah, I think we want to wait a couple of weeks and see how it goes and lend supply we have discretionarily at that point, hoping to see kind of a robust market in terms of hedge funds willing to put on new positions and then look to auction thereafter. I think there will be a significant amount of value in Korea, hopefully back where we saw it two, three years ago. Thanks,
1: Jim. Maybe we'll turn it over to Mike and talk about treasuries. Mike, let us know where are you seeing value in the treasury curve and how are lenders getting the most out of those assets these days?
3: Yeah, so I guess I'll just go back to last month and kind of some of the main highlights we were talking about. I think it was or the day before the supplemental leverage ratio decision came down and they let it expire. And now we've had a month to see a market reaction to that. Just initially thought that dealers having to hold more capital against deposits and treasuries, that they'd possibly start shedding both of these assets and maybe cut back on lending and see how that would affect the demand for borrowing treasuries. A month in, the market reaction has definitely been kind of muted from a demand perspective, muted reaction meaning that the demand to borrow is still there. The deposits that have been shedded have gone back into money funds, and this has continued with the asset purchases, bill paydowns, treasuries' paydown of their general account are all drivers of adding cash to the front of the market and uh, primary reasons why repo continues to be pinned at zero. And what that means for our lending programs, especially those with large GC programs, is funding overnight levels is continuing to be cheap. I would say even from the last time we talked, it's probably a basis point or two cheaper. I think in the long run, where the SLR expiration comes into play for lenders is increased leverage cost for the banks now at over times of reporting periods like quarter ends and year ends. So I think that the levels on overnight's gonna to continue to be in our favor. But kind of some building up some of these balances intra-quarter, where we've continued to be high and haven't always been pared down as much in recent memory over these reporting periods, you might be more subject to, to some pair downs for reasons like that. We still feel that a heavy allocation in term for stable funding is is still favorable. Some of the SLR expiration has made the term a little elevated, the term levels a little elevated, but still from historical levels to IS spread, they're still extremely tight and it's probably just a few basis points higher than where you would fund it overnight. And we think that stable funding over these periods is invaluable because it allows you to extend some duration and increase risk on the asset side too to capture that all in spread there. So I think that the collateral play and lock it in is still a good value for lenders, as well as still a very active specials market. We still have anywhere along the curve from three year sector all the way up to the 30-year sector. We're still seeing it in great demand it has a short basis continue to increase with some of the hedging and corporate and bond issuance and some of the steeping trades put on by dealers. And we do head into reopening tomorrow, 4.15, and so we will get some supply increases on some of the 3-tens and 30s, which typically in the third cycle of these trades usually eliminates all value from a lending perspective. But there is still such a deep short base in these issues that we'll still be trading these at negative levels most likely tomorrow and into the next month, right until the new cycle of new issue which typically in the third month of a cycle, we don't have on loan balances is too high. But in this environment, some of the volatility, it feels like we'll have some decent rebates on there and still capture some of that value.
1: Right. A couple of questions. First off, what percentage of the book do you say we would be doing in term versus overnight generally? I think
3: typically we try to keep it, say, 60, 40. I think in a time like this, in this environment where it's such a flat repo curve, I definitely skew it higher, probably to the 70, 80% mark there.
1: What about collateral? Obviously, there's also a healthy non cash market in treasuries, right? And dealers would love to pledge equities versus treasuries all day long. Not all clients like that trade, but there are also some good trades in some sovereign collateral, right? What are you seeing as far as, Activity and levels in, in that, those areas.
3: Yeah, just like the equity lending market, the cash collateral is not always for the preference to pledge. And a lot of different deals, depending on where the bank is domiciled in, they, they sit on certain sovereigns and always looking to get a treasury collateral in. So we're doing a lot of trades, the JGB trade and some of the CAD GUVIs and CAD provincials. And EGB trades are still high in demand, both in open structures and term structures. Dealers do prefer term structures from, uh, and they always cite things, especially now with some of the SLR expirations is some of their leverage costs in quarter two is just naturally going to be higher. So they're trying to limit their open exposure. It's just cheaper for them to kind of lock up things, typically 35 days in out, the levels can vary. Typically, volatility around the curve over quarter ends and year ends and some of the currency pairs and the basis widening typically drives those trades. The last six to 12 months has been fairly muted in that space, strictly from just a lot of these Fed programs and just the availability of U.S. dollars, the swap lines put in place by the Fed to about, I think, 12 different central banks, just making U.S. dollars more available to banks outside of the U.S. and taking some of the premium out of these trades. But even if the levels might not be as rich as they once were, the volumes are still there. You do a lot of open trades in seven to 10 basis points, depending on the collateral being pledged back. And then term structures, picking up a few extra on top of there. And it might not seem like the richest levels there. When we're talking Treasuries, you're talking typically large volumes. So and it's fairly sticky balance as well. So that, that can add up over a longer term
1: period. Great.
0: Thanks, Mike. Mike, so all of the cash that's in the market, and it sounds like with the change to the SLR and that being lifted, has, if anything, probably put even more cash back into the market. What does that mean in terms of the reinvestment opportunities? And, you know, there's such little spread opportunity there. And for how long? And people talk about the Fed not raising rates until 2023. I mean, is this the environment that we're in now for a year plus? At this point. Yeah, I
3: think like the environment we've been in probably since mid summer of last year, and it's probably going to be all 21 and probably most of 22 it's just going to be a environment with so much cash in the front end that the supply d- demand dynamic is going to favor the issuers where they don't have to offer wide levels to get cash in. And so what that means for cash mandates you have to get a little more creative on of how you uh, look at a whole program. So this can mean a few things. It could mean extending duration, showing reverse yeah. inquiries into issuers. You don't see a lot on our side our programs. We've been seeing a lot more optionality and uh, put call notes out there that pick up some incremental yield for some short dated paper. The issuers like it because it locks up stable funding. And, and for us, it picks up five basis points on top of what we see in typical bank paper. We've also seen some clients, it's all about collateral expansion and what we were willing to pledge in different repo, alternative repo structures. Equities are still a popular trade in a repo structure. Investment grade, high yield, there's something that dealers are always looking to finance. Not many people can do it. And for that reason, they do pay up a lot. But anything outside of this traditional fixed income repo, you, you can pick up a few bips here and there. And I know in the grand scheme, of it, it doesn't always look like a lot, but in this environment, every basis point does
1: matter. Great. Thanks, Mike. I'm going to turn it back over to Jim. I think he may have a couple of comments, but I'm going to throw another one. So whatever you wanted to say, Jim, I'll let you say it. But I want two minutes or a minute and a half on corporate bonds. Special GC, high yield investment grade.
2: Okay. So two things that probably are worth mentioning since it's topical. Coinbase coming today hasn't started trading. Looks like it's going to open around $350 a share. Large complex story there. But from our perspective, we've started to see and get inquiries from the street on locates of Coinbase, asking if our clients are buying it and if we'd lend it and where. So keep you posted on that. It's not your typical IPO. It's a direct listing. So unlikely that they have IPOs or barbelled and that they have The demand on the backside because of the expiration and the demand out of the gate because of settlement issues, I doubt we'll have settlement issues, but to the extent that people think it's overpriced, could be an interesting opportunity. And then this Friday's options expiration, worth noting because the VIX has come down quite a bit, almost halved from where we were last options expiration. So I think there's a resetting of risk here this Friday. And so I think volume will pick up. I don't know what it means we never do going into options expiration other than we know that Friday is a heavy cash day and that Tuesday will be a heavy settlement day. So hoping to see new risk come on there. Corporate bonds, what did you want to Yeah,
1: Just because I know that's a big part of your world as well. And I I feel like we focus only on equities. So I was just curious if there's any sound bites for high yield for investment grade and then special versus GC, anything that people should know about, think about
2: Yeah. Our greatest volumes today on a daily basis, both on the automated platform on NGT and off the desk has been with credit and mostly high yield, but investment grade and high yield. So we're seeing quite a number of shorts. They generally don't get that special. Got a whole bunch of different shorting spots or ways to get short on the cap structure. So you never see, and you have to pay away the coupon. So you never see people willing to pay 50, 60, 70% to short a bond, but we'll take it. So we're kind of seeing anywhere from GC to 2% on a lot of high yield shorts. That's positive. And we're also seeing HYG in the ETF space trade north of 1% for the first time in a while. So that means there's probably been less creations, more redemptions in HYG, as well as some better demand to borrow. So bright spot. I probably should have mentioned that since I was trying to balance the bright spots and the negativity. We'll we'll keep you on task, Jim. That's our job. Thank you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, great. Thanks for tuning in again. Hopefully it was informative and you've got things to take away. I hope everyone's feeling good and hopefully we can see each other at some point during this year.
0: Thanks everyone. Have a great day.